0: This is not the media. <laughs> this is hell.
1: Putting people before profits, which turns out to be a horrible business model, this is hell, your completely listener-supported source of agita. I'm your bitter, blind, broke, gap radio show podcast live stream host, Chuck Mertz. Producing this week's show is Alex Jerry. Alex, how's your week going so far?
0: Uh... You ever wake up from a dream of being separated from your child by immigration, uh, covered in sweat, totally terrified, and you look at the your phone and it's 4:20 in the morning? <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, very but... fu- very
0: funny weed.
1: <laughs> Good lord. Uh, my week's going spectacularly. Actually, it became a lot better yesterday. But anyway, today the nation state, as we know it, has proven over and over again to be an abject failure. Yes, I said abject Worse, its foundation of violence and repression Has been transmitted into the colonies They once terrorized and exploited Leaving them with tyrannical nation-states All their own A construct based on the establishment of An other to subdue, exploit, or annihilate Through ethnic cleansing and genocide Is the basic template of all governance Around the globe Mutating from the nation-state into what is known as The total state, where it dominates and controls Every aspect of our lives. No, the European style of democracy is not compatible with the places Europe conquered because Europe isn't compatible with the places it once called its colonies. The very idea of conflating the people as a nation with the state as a structure of governance is anathema to the way the world thought and still thinks outside of Europe. Yeah, I said anathema. We'll find out what's wrong with the nation state. If and if there is a better way to organize in a few when we talk to Iranian studies and comparative literature scholar Hamid Dabashi, author of The Emperor is Naked on the Inevitable Demise of the Nation State. Hamid is the Hagap Kevorkian Professor of Iranian stories, uh, Studies and Comparative Literature at Columbia University and has been a columnist for Al Jazeera for nearly a decade. Alex, what's this week's question from hell?
0: This week's question from hell is... What should Bernie do with all that money people gave him? What should Bernie do with all that money that people gave him?
1: You know, And I know there's two different ways in which candidates collect money. One is that you just donate to their campaign, and then there's the other way where the, you donate to the party, and sometimes the literature you get in the mail is misleading, like you don't know if you're giving money to the party or you're giving to the candidate. So I've never really understood exactly what they can do with that money. I've always been kind of up in the air about what do you do with all that extra campaign money afterwards. It's probably something we should talk about this on the a
0: show. Pretty good suggestions you, already.
1: You know, I already uh, I, I know that we had a conversation about this with somebody who wrote an article for Harper's. And Charles Rangel kept coming up in the article. It might have been a Ken Silverstein interview we did a long time ago. We should look it up and see if we can find it. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page, Facebook.com/slash This Is Hell Radio, or you can direct message it to us via Twitter at This Is Hell Radio, or you can email it to either of us at Chuck at or Alex at This Is The person with our favorite answer to this week's question wins 10. Let's make it 10 This Is Hell subvertising stickers so you two can subvert whatever the hell you want to. See how others are subverting the world with "This Is Hell" advertising stickers on Instagram at This Is Hell Radio. Alex will have some of your answers to this week's question from Hell. Follow me. Our guest again. This week's question is: What should Bernie do with all that money people gave him? What should Bernie do with all that money people should, people gave him? I would suggest you know becoming a subscriber on Patreon, maybe buying a trucker cap, This Is Hell T-shirt, something like that. Leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash thisishellradio, or email it to chuck at thisishell.com, DM it to us and Twitter if you want to, at thisishellradio. This is not the media, this is hell. Yes, I took the day off yesterday because after a month of doing shows discussing a global pandemic that threatens all of humanity on planet Earth, I needed a break, and apparently... People could tell because I got emails from uh, some listeners who were telling, asking me if I was really depressed on Monday because I sounded like I was depressed, which is weird. I, that's just weird. That's just the mics being on. <laughs> I guess so. After sleeping, eating, and breathing coronavirus, I couldn't take it anymore. Well, let's hope I'm not eating and breathing COVID-19 because if I am wearing this annoyingly uncomfortable, and as Alex keeps pointing out, these very stinky face masks has been completely pointless, if I am indeed... Breathing and eating COVID 19. Today is April 22nd, and every weekday since March 23rd, one solid month, I've been doing nothing but researching guests who are going to be on the show to discuss the outbreak, then discussing that work with the guests, then doing more research for the next guest on COVID while in the background. News is being broadcast on at least one, if not two, or three different speakers from three different sources of the ongoing pandemic. It's all plague all the time with me at my house Nothing but virus 24-7 Even when we are talking about black feminist manifestos on the show We end up talking about COVID-19 We can't help it The latest plague is controlling our lives Dictating how we live and breathe How we dress and eat Where we go and when What we do and how we do it It's a complete usurpation of our lives By a tyrant who suspended any parliamentary proceedings So long ago nobody can even remember What political representation looks like Here on This Is Hell We either cover issues that are not being covered Or discuss stories in ways they are not being discussed In the mainstream establishment corporate media Especially when it comes to the dreck you see on TV Which still dominates our popular political debate and discussion If you don't think it does Then you were not paying attention to how Joe Biden won the nomination To be the Democratic Party's nominee for President of the United States Online, Bernie was winning But on TV, Joe sewed it up long before the first caucus vote was even cast. Something we discussed way back on April 7th, the possibility of food shortages this summer due to a lack of migrant labor to work in the fields is only now being asked of President Trump in press conferences. Yeah, we talked about it. On April 7th, what 16 days ago, with Trump ending green card entry to the U.S., there is a very good likelihood that there will be food shortages. In the past, when Trump and earlier Obama had limited immigration, stories were leaking in from rural areas of crops being untended and food that was to go to market now lying in fields going to waste. There were stories of farmers dumping the excess product they couldn't get to market on country roads to raise awareness of migrant labor shortages throughout the community which worked but you probably didn't hear those stories because rural america doesn't have small-town newspapers anymore and local radio stations have been bought up by media conglomerates who replace local programming with national far right-wing broadcasters or christian stations and that was before trump continued limiting immigration and we were under the virus of course When finally confronted by a reporter with this reality this week, Trump dismissed any concerns, even saying that those are immigrants taking jobs from Americans or some such garbled thing that made not much sense at all. But essentially, he was saying that stopping immigration in the United States was not going to have any impact on migrant field labor for farm workers. Now, I could be wrong, but I think Trump truly believes white people cannot wait to run into the fields and work dangerous jobs where you are in contact with all sorts of agricultural chemicals doing backbreaking work and sweltering heat under a burning sun for little pay and even worse benefits just so you can live in a shed that's probably owned by the farmer. If people in the U.S. are not willing to stay in their homes to avoid a virus, exactly how willing do you think they are to go work in the fields? While the rest of the media cannot wait, here on This Is Hell, we've actually asked what that normal is. I'm sorry. While the rest of the media cannot wait for the new normal, here on This Is Hell, we've actually asked what that normal is. And if we really want to go back to that old time of the new normal that caused pandemics. A normal that releases pathogens, launches a virus, and distributes a plague worldwide. Is is that seriously what we want to get back to? Because if we do, then you better get used to a lifetime sheltering in place, never leaving your home without a mask, and watching death toll numbers increase on TV every day. Do we want to go back to the normal of destroying the planet for human life by contributing to climate change more every year, with record-setting amounts of fossil fuels still being burned annually? And the only thing that could stop that insanity? The insanity of a deadly virus gone global. So yesterday, Tuesday, I was burned out, not because the day before Monday was 420, although 420 did cause me to have a realization, and I'm not only burned out on COVID coverage, I'm also burned out on Not smoking pot with other people. Like many intoxicants, marijuana use can be a very sociable and socializing activity. And we're not supposed to be engaged in such activities because they may cause the spread of a plague and thus our deaths. Now is not the best time to be passing a joint or a bowl or a one-hitter or a bubbler or a bong right now or whatever you have. Although I saw that happening in the park yesterday. So one of the great distractions in my life from things like a virus that is creeping around our neighborhood seeking out victims... I cannot imbibe in that distraction in the way I once did with friends. Instead, I sit by myself, reminded of my friends, as if there was some story from my past that I can only revisit my memories, or via email or social media or picking up a phone. But it ain't the same thing as actually seeing someone, being with someone. Having a face-to-face conversation is a completely different form of communication, than talking over the phone, far less personal, far less organic is the phone than your typical conversation. And I need that distraction more than ever under the virus, not because of what we know about the virus, not because of the incessant coverage of the virus in the corporate media, not because of the safety protocols we have to adhere to in order to stay alive, not because of the daily press conferences with President Trump and his coronavirus team, not because Trump refuses to answer any question, not because he refuses the question to even be asked, interrupting reporters while they're asking whatever it was they were going to ask so he can say whatever it was he wanted to say that was thoroughly unrelated to the reporter's question. You know, the question I want to hear asked of the president most right now is, can you wait to answer the question until after I've actually asked the question? That would be a great question to ask President Trump right now. Trump seems Afraid of the question, any question Lacking the courage to confront reality And instead choosing to live in one of his own making Where everything is about him Asked about a lack of testing And how that might be leading to the spread of the virus And more deaths Trump replied with a long answer About how he won the 2016 presidential election Without a concern for the people who need testing And may die without it Only thinking that the question must be about him Not the public who he's supposed to be representing Now None of that was what burned me out. It was all the other news about the virus that is not being reported. That we don't have time to to cover here on This is Hell because we're on only one hour a day. The 24-7 cable news networks have no excuse for not covering any of these stories. Instead, they focus on potential for vaccines. A few hundred corporate finance... Tea Party members protesting after getting their marching orders from the government propaganda network at Fox News Channel, with the media never reporting the links to corporate financing or Fox News, giving the more fascist members of the crowd's cover, allowing them to go further toward the Nazism that is their inevitable and eventual Eden game without any of the news networks doing a damn thing about it. They didn't report that the Tea Party was corporate financed back in 2008 when it started, They're not going to change that narrative now. What's been missed because seemingly the 24-7 news networks just don't care? Well, one story I mentioned when talking with Cindy Milstein on Monday, and that is uh, all COVID-19 victims who have died in St. Louis are black. Another I brought up during our talk with Helen Yaffe earlier this month, and that was the success Cuban doctors were having in Italy with interferon drugs and fighting the worst symptoms of the virus. Helen also mentioned Cuban doctors going all over the world to help in the pandemic while the U.S. is trying to get retired health care workers to fill the ranks in the U.S. Because we don't have extra doctors to go overseas, we don't even have enough to take care of ourselves but there's plenty more just in the last week alone that has been missed because the cable and network tv outlets don't care and because we simply don't have time like joe biden saying this on cnn which was actually news but was never revisited by cnn biden told anderson cooper and dr sanjay gupta that his response to the outbreak would be quote um you know there's a uh during World War II, uh, you know, where Roosevelt came up with a thing, uh, that, uh, you know, was totally different than, uh, than the, it's called, he called it, the, you know, the World War II. He had the war, the, the war production board. If that doesn't make you feel like your future is safe, then did you hear that all those PPE the President says the states need to get for themselves have actually been stopped by the federal government itself as David Foster Wallace or David, sorry, David Wallace-Wells, not David Foster Wallace. He's dead. As David Wallace-Wells reported at New York Magazine over the last few weeks, it has started to appear as though in addition to abandoning the states in their own devices, to their own devices in a time of national emergency, the federal government has effectively erected a blockade like that which the Union used to choke off the supply chains of the Confederacy during the Civil War to prevent delivery of critical medical equipment to states desperately in need. Not that will be mentioned in today's press conference or that Trump would allow the question to be asked in the first place. But yes, those PPE that he says the states should get, the federal government is actually stopping the states from getting them. Or how about... At least seven cases of COVID-19 in Milwaukee already being linked to voting during the primary a couple weeks ago. But Wisconsin Republicans don't care if you get sick and die. All they care is if they win. So if you do not want Trump to win in November, or if you do want him to win, expect to pay for that vote with your life. Give me liberty or give me death. This November, we get to give away both. Corporations are doing all sorts of horrible things under the virus, like not providing their employees with PPE. They're so worried that they have asked the White House for protections from lawsuits for all the evil they've done during the virus. If you're hoping for a reckoning with these corporations who profit and exploit while playing with the lives of their workers and their customers with you, don't hold your breath if you still have one to hold. By the way, nobody ever believed the prediction Trump floated of 60,000 dead by August 4th, and that number is proving incredibly wrong, as we'll likely hit it by May 4th, let alone August. And nobody really believed their number of 100,000 to 240,000 dead that they had offered earlier, with many models showing much higher death rates than that. And now there's a study saying that everything we thought we knew about the virus is wrong. Everything we thought about its origin is absolutely incorrect, that it did not start in November in Wuhan, but possibly September in Guangdong. All of this is newsworthy. All of this keeps seeping into my brain daily, simmering until it is a stew of hopelessness, of which I have no control. So yeah, I needed a day off yesterday because, sure enough, this is hell. The nation-state has proven a failure for the nation and as a state. We'll also have more some of your answers to this week's question from hell with Alex. This week's question from Al is, what should Bernie do with all that money people gave him? What should Bernie do with all that money people gave him? The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from Al wins 10 This Is Hell subvertising stickers. You can leave your answer at our Facebook page, tweet it to us, or email it to us. Live from the nightmare, this is... Is hell. The nation state is a failed project, causing repression and violence wherever it goes. And when it leaves a past colony, it also leaves behind the wretchedness of that nation state. Here to explain, Iranian studies and comparative literature scholar Hamid Dabashi is author of Emperor is Naked on the inevitable demise of the nation state. Welcome to This Is Hell, Hamid. Thank you, Greg. Thanks for having me. Find out more about Hamid by going to his website, HamidDeBashi.com. You start with a short telling of of Hans Christian Andersen's The Emperor's New Clothes. In the story, nobody notices that the emperor's new clothes are that he is naked, that he, in fact, has no new clothes at all. But everyone in the crowd plays along, insisting that he is wearing new clothes until one person uh, says something. One child says that he is not wearing new clothes, that he is naked, which is dismissed as prattle, but word spreads that the emperor doesn't have anything on. What does that say about the revelation that the emperor, in fact, is not wearing clothes when it comes from a child dismissed as prattle, but then taken up by the entire crowd? Is Anderson saying something, in your opinion, about politics, about leadership, about governance, when only the child can notice the emperor has no clothes?
2: Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I wish I could just sit and hear to to your monologue, you're speaking my mind and heart and soul in this pandemic. But, and also thank you for covering this book. This book is just out in London and also worldwide. The reason I began with that famous uh, story of Hans Christian Andersen is that the fact that nation State is actually a failed project. I mean, your monologue at the beginning of the hour was actually an evidence of the fact that there is a fundamental and uh, insurmountable difference between the need of the nation, in this case, our nation, the United States, and what we need, and the preferences of the states now represented by Donald Trump. But you can go around the globe. You can go to India. You can go to Brazil. You can go to uh, any Arab Muslim world, etc. The fact is that the need of people, the nation, ordinary people, is fundamentally epistemologically, morally, imaginatively, any way that you can think of it is not represented by the state. The state has its own naked, violent interests embedded in, for example, United States in, uh, in corporations. The reason that the metaphor of Hans Christian Andersen is so crucial is that the child who says, excuse me, uh, I I don't wish to be rude, but all of you are lying. There is no link between the nation and the state. The the emperor is totally naked. Because he has not been, uh, the child has not been implicated in the uh, hideous game that adults play. Uh, pretending, because they're scared, because they are invested in the foolishness of the emperor, that the emperor actually represents a truth, a reality, a political representation. Our constitution says, we the people, and this man now in the White House or any other uh, palace of ruling elite is supposed to represent that expression, we the people, and it doesn't. And in a way, in this book, I begin by placing myself, now nearly 70, in place of that child, pointing out that there is no correspondence between nation and the state, and the emperor is naked, meaning the claim the legitimacy of the state is fake. Less than 50% of American electorate actually vote. And forget about, I mean, the U.S. at least has the apparition of a democracy. But if you go around the globe, uh, in India, in Brazil, in in anywhere, uh, there is no representation. They go through the fake uh, spectacle of performing democracy in the Arab world, in the Muslim world, anywhere in Turkey, you name it. And uh, through that spectacle of democracy, they claim a certain level of legitimacy and the single perhaps most important task of this book is to uh, put an end to that uh, hypocrisy. And chapter and verse go through a series of theoretical, philosophical, and political arguments that the illusion of nation state has come to an end.
1: You were mentioning how states are illegitimate because less than 50% of the people actually participate within the vote whenever that is brought up within the news media or by people who are in office or trying to get in office. They call that voter apathy. What do we miss in understanding the disconnect between the state and the nation when we see that lack of voting as voter apathy and not as a delegitimization of the nation state itself.
2: First of all, voter apathy, uh, the the issue is more complicated, I'll get to it in a minute, but even voter apathy, why would voters have apathy if they don't think that these corrupt uh, ruling elite do not represent them? And it's useless. Just look at the machinations of the Democratic Party, twice in a row, robbing Bernie Sanders of his right to represent the Democratic Party, and manufacturing an entirely incompetent man like, like Joe Biden to represent the Democratic Party. So apathy is not to be dismissed. But as you well know, the issue is much more complicated. Gerrymandering is another issue. The fact that voter suppression exists in this country, the fact that uh, the, the day of uh, election is not a national holiday and vast majority of the working class in this society cannot simply afford a day out of work to go and vo- uh, stay in line and vote. And right now, Republican tooth and nail are resisting the possibility of voting by mail because they know that the, the wider the spectrum of the voting, it is not just the Republican Party will be, which will be demonstrated chapter and verse, that it is not representing the political spectrum of American people, but so will the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party thinks that it is opposition, but is actually two wings of the same party.
1: Can, can a nation-state be truly democratic, or by being truly democratic, would that undermine the nation-state?
2: Excellent question. Theoretically, the nation state can be a legitimate operation. But my point is uh, the fact that given the history of a nation state over the last 200 years, at least, we do not have a representative democracy. We have never had a representative democracy. The skeleton of democratic elections and democratic representations, the verbiage of constitutional rights and constitutional uh, uh, division of, uh, of power are there. But when you have a right-wing branch of the Republican Party consistently uh, meandering the uh, Supreme Court in a way that it is flooded with right-wing uh, uh, judges, uh, and as a result, the uh, fundamental and constitutional division between the, uh, the judiciary and the uh, Executives are being corroded right in front of our eyes. Then those ideals of separation of power, and, uh, political representation, etc., uh, etc., cetera, et cetera, are good and dandy on paper, but effectively, over the last two hundred years of failed state, failed democratic representation of the United States, as the oldest experiment with democracy. Shows that the nation-state effectively has failed.
1: The nation-state conflates the people of the nation with the government stru- governmental structure of the state. Can we de-link, disconnect the nation from the state, so they can live amicably, amicably together, side by side?
2: Well, th- that's the sixty-four thousand question, dollar question, isn't it? The 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 fact is that the state has, as great German sociologist Max Weber said uh, uh, early in 20th century, has monopoly of violence. Uh, and in reaction to the monopoly of violence that the states have, uh, then uh, some theories have opted for anarchy. Anarchy as an, a mode of theoretical and ideological opposition to any kind of State formation. But my point, uh, uh, Chuck, here in this book is not to uh, opt for anarchy. My point is to separate, to decouple this uh, false Siamese tune of nation and a state and pull the rug of legitimacy from under the feet of a state for a state not to have this false claim of democratic representation. They have their own machinations. And the word united nation is a misnomer, has nothing to do with nations, is a, a fraternity club of all the ruling states get together here in New York once a year and uh, decide the fate of the universe. And uh, one aspect of this coronavirus business is that all of these machinations have been, have been uh, stopped, have, have been demonstrated to be ludicrous because we're facing with a virus, virus, for which this country is constitutionally incapable of confronting. If you notice, every ruling elite, not just U.S., around the world, uses military metaphor. Uh, a virus is not an enemy. virus is a, is a virus. You heal it. You address it. You, uh, you find a vaccine for it. You don't fight it. But this country is incapable of thinking of, of the universe, except in militaristic terms. The fundamental problem that we have in the United States is our medical science, our medical knowledge, our medical industry is not geared towards public health, is only geared to providing for very rich people who have medical insurance. You were talking in your monologue, the difference between U.S. and and Cuba. Cuba has its own problems. That's not our issue. The issue is uh, whether or not in this country we have the scientific, institutional, industrial basis of a public health project. This is what the nation needs, a public health, not a very sophisticated medical knowledge and medical industry that is only geared towards the rich and the powerful who have, uh, can actually afford uh, medical insurance. This is the, uh, whereas the state, again, as you said in your monologue, Right now, all of these huge amounts of money are being paid to corporations to come up with a vaccine. These corporations are not fundamentally, constitutionally, scientifically, epistemic, every single way, are not geared. They couldn't care less about public health. The only reason that now they are interested in a vaccine for uh, 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 COVID-19 is that there must be masses of billions of dollars of of, uh, profit in it. One would hope if we, as I say, separate the couple notion of the nation and the state, the, the, at least the nation knows what its best interests are, not to just uh, like sheep every four years go to vote for uh, either a Pepsi or a Coca-Cola.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a very good analogy. So uh, why do, why does the nation state have to depend upon violence for its power? And what does that say to you about the nation state when violence, when, as you were saying, uh, let's go to to war on the coronavirus, when violence is just the only tool in the toolbox?
2: First of all, again, we have to separate between the nation and the state. The nation is at the mercy of the state violence, Right now, as you know, the states all over the world are using the occasion of uh, coronavirus and the pandemic and the fact that we have to do social distancing and self-isolation and self-quarantining and all of that. They're using it as a mechanism of expanding upon upon their uh, uh, security apparatus. They want to expand it in China. And here is very important not to fall into the trap of ideological differences between China or Russia or the United States. States are states. States are innately violent. States are innately interested in self-preservation. They're interested in uh, preserving the the apparatus of power and violence. They are not interested in well-being of of the nation that they claim but fail to represent. Once we separate, going back to your question, the apparatus of a state, which is predicated on monopoly of violence, from the fate of the nation, then the question is how can a nation use its moral and political power, as you saw it in some, for example, a presidential election during 2016, and you see it in presidential election 1920, with 1920, with the gathering of a momentum around Bernie Sanders, not Bernie Sanders as a cult of a personality, but Bernie Sanders as a figure that represents a vast majority of americans who feel who feel not represented in this two party apparatus and the way that its machinations uh, machinations operate that th- those masses of millions of people who gave 17 18 25 dollars campaign contribution to, uh, to Bernie Sanders th- those are cries for freedom and they don't have a mechanism of self-representation within the current apparatus of the Democratic and Republican Party.
1: You mentioned that you are not an anarchist. You actually write that. I'm not an anarchist either. Anarchists have a fixation with state and fetishize its power. My concern instead is entirely nation-bound. What holds or should hold the nation together, irrespective of what false and falsifying claims the ruling states lay on them? What do you think is missed by anarchists when, as you argue, they fixate on the state and fetishize power? What do they miss in their understanding and their analysis of the nation state?
2: Historically, uh, as you know, the rise of anarchism was in a moment of frustration and anger and and uh, dissatisfaction with the apparatus of the state, so they came with uh, this this notion of anarchism, and uh, the philosophical roots of this go goes all the way back to Rousseau and other people who were celebrating the state of uh, nature. I'm not like that. Actually, I think is counterproductive, and has a fixation with apparatus of the state, and does not recognize that the nation on the other side of the uh, binary of nation uh, nation state has a reality unto itself, and this reality has to be understood. And uh, there are many wonderful and important crucial theorists, like Hannah Arendt, for example, who have talked about formations of voluntary associations. Anybody from Tocqueville to Hannah Arendt, they have talked about formations of voluntary associations and uh, associations that act as intermediaries between the atomized individual and the totalized state. The states don't like voluntary associations. The states don't want to have uh, neighborhood communities, wards, uh, etc. that act as bumper zones between the individual that the state wants to uh, uh, atomize. This atomization of individual, again, something that you mentioned in your monologue as I was listening, is the recipe for the rights of uh, Nazism and fascism, because fascism doesn't like the formation of intermediary voluntary association acting as a bumper zone between the atomized individual and the totalized state. They want an atomized individual for you to stay at home with no connection. Right now, this very conversation that you and I have is a voluntary association that you, me, your listeners, we are forming a bumper zone in between the totalizing apparatus of a state and you and I becoming atomized uh, into our own solitude and then the state tell us do what they want to do. Any formation of a dialogical uh, voluntary association in which a group of people get together Listen to a radio, go to a website, go to a neighborhood club, whatever is the formation of uh, that particular voluntary association might be. That is, uh, first of all, it safeguards our humanity, that we talk and listen to each other, and from that we create political Solidarity and moral, uh, cultivate moral imagination that stands between. First of all, safeguards our humanity, and second, stands between us and the totalizing uh, state. In, I mean, uh, I know Trump has his uh, has his base, so-called. First of all, I think is entirely exaggerated. I think the, the political. Uh, machinations of two, uh, presidential election 2016 that resulted in the presidency of Donald Trump has a lot to do with the dysfunctional Democratic Party, at least 50% to do with the dysfunctional Democratic Party that resulted in Hillary Clinton, as it does with people actually liking uh, Donald Trump. So this playing to the, to the base is an indication that This ideological uh, oddity of one president and some base overriding the will of 320 million human beings who have had it up to here with this functional state uh, is going to work. So going back to your original question, voluntary associations, which are emerging from the will of the nation and and they are are, uh, limited their neighborhood, their uh, uh, communities, their counties, uh, et cetera, but they act, and you can see aspects of it in this uh, give and take between uh, federal government and state government, and right now in our own state, Governor Cuomo having his own uh, issues with the constitutional issues, who decides to put the uh, state in uh, quarantine or who decides when the states can uh, actually uh, uh, reopen the economy as it were. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, Cuomo uh, is God's gift to humanity or uh, uh, Trump is the uh, de- devil incarnate. We have to understand the mechanism of how politics works. They are catering to different constituencies. And those constitu- constituencies are political constituencies. They are not communal constituencies. So, In reaction to the uh, position of the anarchists with with whom I disagree, my position is more akin to what Tocqueville or Hannah Arendt would say, which is the formation of voluntary association. First, to safeguard our humanity. Second, to expand and uh, extrapolate our social interactions. And third, to protect uh, the atomized individual against the totalized state.
1: Hamid, at first, I just want to say that uh, when uh, I'm having a really enjoyable conversation with a guest. It's when I think of about 27 different follow-up questions during an answer. So I'm really enjoying this conversation that we're having. We're speaking with Iranian studies and comparative literature scholar Hamid Dabashi, author of The Emperor is Naked on the Inevitable Demise of the State. You were born in Iran when it was ruled by the Shah, and you write that <clears throat> at the height of his power in 1971, the Shah of Iran celebrated 2,500 years of Persian monarchy. With the same pomp and ceremony that the malarkey that succeeded him staged Shia martyrology to manufacture consent on their equally illegitimate rule. One appealed to Cyrus the Great and the other to Prophet Muhammad and then to his son-in-law Ali and his male descendant, particularly to the Imam Hussein. They were all delusional, manufacturing a whole parade of imaginative operatic stage to mere shreds of historical evidence. They were all convincing themselves in power and fooled none except those who were the beneficiaries of their delusion. So only the people who benefit from their fiction are the ones who believe. Can only delusional thinkers come to power? Is delusion needed? Is delusion something even that people want, that they want to believe in the fictions of, like, American exceptionalism and innocence. Can only delusional people come to power?
2: Uh, first of all, excellent passage. You're a good reader that you selected. Second, uh, let me uh, give you another example of where do I get the philosophical origin of my answer to you, which is yes, um, political power is predicated on delusion. There was a phenomenal German philosopher, Ernst Cassirer, was his name, who ran away from Nazi Germany, came to the United States, went to Yale University, and spent his last uh, years uh, in the US, in uh, Haven, New Haven, Connecticut, taught at Yale. Towards the end of his life, he wrote a magnificent book called The Myth of a State, Uh, in which he goes back to the philosophical route, back to Plato and Aristotle and and the rest of them, philosophical roots of the myth that has informed human communities and particularly comes to manifestation to a state. Now, his point of criticism, obviously, is Nazi Germany and the um, apparatus of power and delusion that Nazism has created Uh, not just in Germany, but throughout Europe, and it's not just in Germany. Uh, Mussolini was doing it in Italy. Franco was doing it in uh, Spain. It was all over uh, Europe. What Ernst Catherier tells us is that there has been a consistent rise towards rationalization of politics in uh, European philosophical tradition, and in the course of which we have forgotten the fact that myth has had a very powerful presence in the formations of human uh, community. And there from Ernst Cassirer, I mean, then I, I, I do a whole chapter on Ernst Cassirer and I thank him and I part ways with, uh, with Cassirer because I have a different agenda. You see, the thing is, I say, that the constitution of Plato's Republic as a phenomenally important book in history of political thought is a very recent invention that I would not uh, date it back uh, any time earlier than French Revolution of 1789. Far more important in European history has been Xenophon's Cyropedia, which was celebrating in a fictional way the life of an emperor of Cyrus the Great which, as you know, uh, surprisingly, Trump is a constitutionally illiterate man, but of all people, he knew Cyrus the Great and Cyropedia. I mean, it does that he knew it, somebody told him about Cyropedia. Cyropedia is a celebration of imperialism, not of republic. And for much of European history, before the uh, uh, French Revolution, it is actually imperialism which is a factor rather than republicanism. It is after the French Revolution and subsequently, uh, before the American Revolution and so forth, that republicanism becomes an ideal. But the reality supersedes uh, such ideals, namely the formation of Nazi Germany and the eventual formation of a dysfunctional American empire uh, predicated on the myth of the frontier, as you know, in American history, all eventually leads to the effective importance of imperial thinking and the overcoming of the Republican aspirations. These are the two uh, binaries in between which we can see why the power of myth has never left uh, uh, this country and the, or any other country. power of myth has to do with the fact that right now, you have people demonstrating in front of hospitals and preventing medical uh, personnel to attend to this coronavirus. But coronavirus is a pandemic, has nothing to do with politics or military. And as a result, you need to be able to allow for medical professionals, not that perfe- medical professionals know all the answers, but we need to have a rational conversation with them. To take over. But the power of myth, the power of stupidity, the power of delusion, the power of uh, self delusion should never be underestimated in human history.
1: You write that the very notion of the nation-state as we understand it today was a colonial legacy and has now transformed into a post-colonial myth. We in the post-colonial world had no business buying into it. It has never worked in or out of Europe. Look at the mess of Brexit or the constant menace of separatist movements from one end of Europe to another. It has, in fact, created subnational categories of resentment and su- supernatural. Uh, geopolitics of aggression and violence. The result is the transformation of the illusion of a legitimate state into the reality of a total state predicated on pure illegitimate violence. Because that's such a key concept, Hamid, what do you mean by total state? By total state, I mean the abrogation
2: of the intermediary, abrogation of two factors. One is the division of power, between the three branches of government that, as you see right now in this very country, is being violated by uh, the not just the right wing of the Republican Party, but in many ways, even the Democratic Party. They want to keep the apparatus of power intact, as you see it in multi-trillion dollar so-called a budget to uh, adjusting coronavirus and has nothing to do with coronavirus is uh, is uh, safeguarding the corporations uh, that they want to preserve the status quo they want to preserve the apparatus of uh, power and as a result the uh the interests of the nation uh, becomes subsidiary and almost non-existent. A state becomes a reality unto itself and begins to spin around itself and do what the state does, monopolize violence and become total. Total meaning does not tolerate the possibility of intermediary institution, whether it's city government, state government, community organizations that prevent the total control of the state over atomized uh, individual. The more the state becomes total, namely has no tolerance, no, uh, uh, no space for, uh, for example, the institution of journalism. Not that there is much hope for the institution of corporate journalism uh, as you see it, and again, as in your monologue, you were referring to it. But the, the institution of journalism is responsible to interrogate power. but. It is not doing its task. That's a different uh, issue. But even in the confrontational attitude of Trump vis-a-vis a a journalist who dares to ask a question, what were you doing all the months of February, not mobilizing the nation for this pandemic? He gets angry and uh, 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 intolerant and and begins to assault and insult the person who has asked. These are indices, it is very important for us not to make this ad hominem and personal to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is a symptom of a disease, he is not the disease itself. The disease itself is this totalizing tendency of the state to become total, meaning have no patience and uh, space for intermediary institution. The more the state becomes total, the more it becomes uh, violent remember militarization of American police force began under Obama and not under uh, Trump. Trump is now beneficiary uh, of that uh, militarization of, of, of police. In other words, instead of police being considered as part of a community that is supposed to help to safeguard the community, it is uh, increasingly institutionalized as to protect the interest of the ruling uh, elite. These are indications of two things. A state becomes total, namely like a cancer. It metastasizes into the apparatus of uh, power between the federal, state, and city government. The more it metastasizes in terms of incorporating and gobbling up and uh, 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 having all modes of power incorporated into a centralized apparatus, the more it becomes violent, namely it, the the power of persuasion that it pretended to have, the, the assumption of legitimacy that it pretended to have, will completely uh, evaporate. And as a result, I've always said the ISIS, this uh, ISIL, this Islamic uh, Caliphate, uh, nonsensical, violent cannibals that emerged between Iraq and Syria, these are uh, the, the the proto proto prototype of uh, total state because they had no nation. No, nobody had elected them. They, nobody had, they, they ruled over no nation. They, they fabricated a delusional conception of a caliphate that doesn't exist. But in their apparatus, they were completely violent and cannibalistic and, and horrid. Uh, that's one example. The, the example of the slaughter of the Saudi uh, journalist, dissident journalist Jamal Kishukchi in the Saudi uh, consulate, I offered, uh, if you recall, in my last chapter, who killed Jamal Khashoggi, who cares? The naked body of a dissident journalist in a consulate of Saudi Arabia in Istanbul, vis-a-vis the hacks and the uh, 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 guns and whatever it is with which he was suffocated and killed, to me, is the epitome of the encounter between the totalized state and the naked nation that is defenseless uh, in front of the totalized state. I hope that
1: makes sense. It does. That definitely makes sense. You also, uh, you know, we only have 45 minutes to talk, and we could probably talk about this for another 450 minutes, but uh, you write about fascism uh, extensively. What comes first uh, with fascism? Is it the enemy, or is it the fascism? Is fascism a reaction to an enemy, or is the enemy a creation of fascism? Because the thing that I kept thinking about is, what, what happens to a state when its focus is only on the enemy?
2: Uh, the origin of this, again, excellent question. You're a good reader. Uh, uh, the origin of this goes back to the Nazi political scientist Carl Schmidt and has an excellent book on uh, the uh, importance of the fabrication of an enemy outside uh, the political apparatus. So the political apparatus unifies itself. Uh, in answer to your question, is the latter, namely the invention of an enemy. You create an enemy. Whether that enemy is China or Islam or terrorism in a vague, kind of a amorphous way, you always need an enemy in order to consolidate political power. But again, I refer to the fact that today, when we are dealing with a viral pandemic, this militarized fascistic state does not have the vocabulary to think of a pandemic in any other terms other than enemy. Uh, but this virus is an enemy. Trump said that I am a wartime president because he wants to get reelected. Wartime president, the enemy, this, this vocabulary, this, this terminology, this way of thinking has become so innate, so endemic, So naturalized in American political culture, but not just look at Brazil, look at India, is the same. Uh, The phenomenon we're describing is very important for your listeners to know is not between United States or India or Russia or China. They are one worse than the other. We are dealing with a a, a pandemic, as it were, that of, of political transmutation into fascism that... Uh, that predates this particular pandemic. Fascism does not have, is, is multi-color. Uh, uh, it doesn't come in one shape. Even at the time of Hitler and Mussolini and, and Franco, they had, they had different shades of uh, fascism. American fascism, is we, which we are in the middle of how it works and how it emerges, constitution of an enemy, uh, the press as the enemy, Uh, Muslims as the enemy, China as the enemy, virus as the enemy, just take the word enemy from the vocabulary of the ruling state. They don't know what to do with it with themselves. Again, going back to this pandemic, this pandemic needs a revolution in thinking about public health, revolution in public health. Extract just 10% of that goddamn military budget and billions of dollars that you want to create a, a space force for God's sake. 10% of that. And you revolutionize the public health industry, masses of numbers of uh, hospitals and beds and uh, uh, all other uh, personal protection uh, uh, gears etc, etc. That is unless and until there is a fundamental reconceptualization of the apparatus of the state, you cannot deal with such things as the pan- pandemic. However, the tendency of the totalizing state is never is not just the United States. Brazil right now is worse. Uh, Russia is worse, China is worse. They don't could not care less. In case of uh, uh, China. The reason that they were effective, or presumably effective, what do we know? Because the information is not entirely reliable, is that for them, individual is a, a pro, is a productive machinery. They don't want to lose that productive machinery. Whereas in the United States, they think not just the old people over 70, but that Dr. Oz character in. Fox News, that even children are dispensable. What is common between children and old people? Economically, they are not productive. They're a burden on the economy. They want uh, to create a condition of complete separation, like that movie uh, that Judy Foster was a, as a Rich people had gone all the way to uh, the heaven and had a station in there, and the rest of the earth were on in Los Angeles and uh, around it. Um, That is a condition that requires a fundamental epistemic, philosophical, political rethinking of the apparatus of the state. And that has to come from pressure from above, disregarding, bypassing, resisting is not just resisting. Uh, Disregarding, bypassing, resisting the state in order to give birth to alternative uh, voluntary associations that can protect the individual.
1: I've got one last question for you, and uh, we are very limited on time. And I'm so I want to apologize for the complexity of the question. Uh, our final question that we do with all of our guests, Hamid, is what we call the question from hell. The question we hate to ask, you might hate to answer, or our audience is going to hate your response. We've been speaking with Iranian studies and comparative literature scholar Hamid Dabashi, author of The Emperor Is Naked, on the inevitable demise of the nation-state. And our question from hell for you is: We have had plenty of people on this. Show I've said this numerous times. We've looked to the problems that we are facing in this world, and a lot of critics have pointed towards capitalism as the overarching problem that is facing the world today. What do those critics miss when they only focus on capitalism and may not see the dangers and the problems that have been introduced to the world by the nation state?
2: Uh, first of all, it's an excellent question. I don't know why you call it a uh, question from hell. Uh, these, are, I mean, that carries the extension of our conversation from our current predicament into more, you know, philosophical or theoretical uh, speculation. No doubt, capitalism, as we see it now, as it is operating, uh, and as has ge- as it has generated. Uh, 850 million, for a minute just think about that figure, 850 million human beings going to bed hungry, 320 million human beings roaming around the globe in search of a uh, job, and uh, millions of, uh, one out of every five American child is hungry etc cetera, etc cetera. my kids my younger kids go to, to new york public school and the uh, mayor de Blasio was late in closing the school the reason is that hundreds of thousands of hungry new yorker children rely on on uh, uh, school uh, providing them with food and and so do their uh, families so a system that we call it capitalism that uh, cares to safeguard corporations rather than care for the people who work for those corporations is certainly flawed. But uh, if we fall into the trap of, okay, capitalism is bad, but Soviet socialism uh, ma- made rest in peace was good, or Chinese communism is good, we have fallen into a trap of alternative ideologies of a state. Not the formations of uh, moral, imaginative polities—not politics, but polities—in which we begin to care for the communities of human beings rather than their incorporations into one ideology or another. I hope that makes some
1: sense. It makes def—it makes a lot of sense, and that is an. Excellent answer to the question from hell Hamid, I cannot thank you enough For being on our show We are going to annoy you for My pleasure, re- thanks for having me We're going to annoy you for the rest of your life Because we're going to keep sending you interview requests I really appreciate our conversation today And enjoy the rest of your week, sir My pleasure, thank you that's Iranian studies and comparative literature scholar Hamid Debashi, author of The Emperor is Naked on the Inevitable Demise of the Nation-State. You can find out more about Hamid at HamidDabashi.com. Money is the root of all evil, and capitalism is all about money, so you do the math. This is hell. This week's question from is... What should Bernie do with all that money people gave him? What should people do with all that money people gave him? You can leave your answer to this week's question mail as you can every week, and that's by going to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash radio, or direct messaging it to us via Twitter at this is hell radio, or emailing it to us at chuck at hell.com alex at thisishell.com. The person with our favorite answer this week wins 10 This Is Hell subvertising stickers. Alex, do you want to read any questions now? You want to put it off to tomorrow? What do you want to do? Oh Yeah, we'll get some now. All
0: right. What should, people, what should Bernie do with all that money people gave him? What should Bernie do with all that money people gave him? Ronaldo M. says masks and PPE. Check yeah. W. says sorry, no humor today. General strike fund. No. Badger N. says a collar keg, so at least he can give us a shot of brandy before we perish. Mm. Wow. Scott C. said give it to the eco-socialist candidate Howie Hawkins fighting for a Green New Deal, Medicare for All, student debt cancellation, and a foreign policy for peace <sighs> on Earth. <laughs> I'm sorry. What were you saying? Uh, Mark C says, create a stockpile of semi-automatic rifles and band-aids for the upcoming uprising by the MAGA supporters after the Orange One's election defeat. (laughs) Garrett S says, invest in adrenochrome stocks. Uh, Jesse W, so what should Bernie do with all the money people have given him? What should Bernie do with all that money people have given him? Jesse W says, a 1983 Buick LeSabre. It's Uh, a
1: fine car.
0: Jeffy D says, take his crew in the Poor People's Campaign clubbing. Make it rain blow hookers and crystal. Oh. Chad F says give so that was it- Jeffy and that Pete <laughs> uh, uh, Chad F says give it to the DNC so they can buy some more knives for his back <laughs> uh, Wally R says open a chain of progressive gun ranges and start <laughs> training and arming the left
1: that is not a good idea
0: uh, Kevin O says all the Bernie Bernie TV news entertainment cable channel and finally Ladio <laughs> says pay illegal immigrants to stand on his front lawn and shake their fists at cars <laughs>
1: that would be pretty hot <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, Alex, who's on tomorrow's two, uh, Thursday's live one-hour stream beginning at 10 in the morning, just like today's show? Uh, part of our every-Thursday check-in
0: about coronavirus, we're going to be talking with Brian Hugh <laughs> uh, about corona politics in Taiwan and Hong Kong.
1: It's not like it's not coming up in any of the other conversations. Uh, tune in to tomorrow's streaming live show at 10 a.m. Chicago time here at this is healthcom or listen to the podcast posted around 2 p.m. Chicago time. To hear more of your answers to this week's question Mel, I'm your bitter blind broke gap tooth radio show podcast live stream host Chuck Mertz producing this week's show is Alex Jerry I want to thank Alex for producing thanks to Hamid Dabashi for being today's guest your eyewitness to grief this is hell
0: thank you for listening to this is hell for more interview hell And to support the show, visit thisishell.com.